Auspicious beginning. All right, here we are. Wow. Uh, down in the basement with Keith Hartel for an Aerial View podiatry cast, as someone dubbed it online. And uh, I've known Keith for low how many years now, would you say? 100. 100 years. I've known Keith for 100 years. I remember the night I first met you. Um, 
It was because I was with um, Andy Scovren and Paul Decolator to go see Articles of Faith at Maxwell's. It was probably like 1986 or something around there. Wow. And you guys all recognized each other. And that was the first time that I, that I met you and then started to know you more, um, I guess, during those New York guitar shows when I was working for Skip Henderson in the early 90s. Ah, yes. Um, Paul Decolator, there's a name I haven't heard in a long time. I, I think he's passed. Has he not? Is he no longer... I mean, what, why is that making you laugh? <laughs> because he was one of my best friends, and he's so fucking dead. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he yeah. died a long time ago. All right. That Paul Decolator. I haven't heard his name in a while. Yeah, he's fucking dead. He's not up to anything, man. Yeah, what can I tell you? Yeah, he's so very not with us anymore. But he was really thrilled to see you that night that we met, because yeah. uh, we were all very big Nihilistics fans, of course. Wow. <laughs> um, yeah. Ni- the Nihilistics, that was the uh, the band that I was in back in the 80s, and... I was a co-founder of that band along with Mike Nicolosi, who is so fucking dead. So dead, like he's, he's one of those so deads. So dead, you have Not no idea. Doing nothing. Why do I never hear about that guy anymore? Why, why do <laughs> I never hear from him? He's dead. <laughs> All right. Um, so we are sitting down in my basement with a couple of guitars and a couple of amps, and the idea here is that I'm going to get a guitar lesson from Keith. But I think the first thing I have to do. I think the battery is dead in this pedal board that I've been using here, so I'm going to switch over and hope that there's a battery in this in the MXR. MXR distortion. Um, let's just see if this has got any battery in it. It does indeed. All right, that's good. Yeah, this thing, um, despite its portability, and I love that it's got the, you know, it's if you don't remember to charge it, it doesn't work. So let me put that over there, and then we'll carry on. And, um, yeah, I'm using this classic MXR Distortion Plus that was a gift from my friend Jim Brown. And uh, Keith is using a Big Muff, Sovtech era, Soviet era that I picked up at the Meadowlands Flea Market. So, uh, And also, Keith has his Gold Top Les Paul. Yes. And um, I've got my 1968 Les Paul that I paid $225 for. Back in 1981. That is quite a deal. I know. Blue and sparkly. This was also a gold top until someone destroyed it and put three humbuckers in it. And, no, you know, Ace Fraley loving person put three some, humbuckers in either it. Either that or Peter Frampton loving person. <laughs> One of those two decided it needed three. It originally had mini humbuckers and then someone decided it, it they needed three humbuckers in here. So by the time I got it, not only that, but whoever owned it had taken all the volume and tone pots and replaced them with switches. So it was just all switchy, just all switches. And when the first thing I decided to do was paint it, you know, and uh, probably shouldn't have. I probably should have left it the way that it was. But, hey, you what sound, are you going to do? You sound very bitter about the whole thing. Uh, you know, I, <laughs> look, this is what you call a player. And Keith and I were talking earlier about, you know, how um, people started collecting guitars and really just driving the prices up to the point where, working musicians such as Keith can't really afford them because we were talking about the New York Guitar Show and you said these Japanese guys would show up and they were just buying them and stacking them up like cordwood to take back to Japan. Yes, in giant and, containers. And that's why you and I can no longer afford this. That's why this guitar, being a 1968 Les Paul, for $225 is mind-boggling. Like, it, it will never happen again. It shouldn't have happened then. Yeah. And I've told that story in my newsletter. I've told it on the air about the... The girl that came in and laid it on the counter of Musicland and said, my boyfriend just left town. How much will you give me for this? Yeah. And, uh, and the guy bought it for 200 and sold it to me for 225 So that's the story of my Les Paul. But, that's fair. You know, I've been playing guitar since I was like 12 years old when they first offered a guitar course in my junior high school. 
And I thought, okay, I don't want to be the dick playing trombone anymore because trombone <laughs> was my original instrument, right? Like, and I just thought, I don't want to be that. I don't want to be the band nerd. I just, I, you know, and yeah. I had fallen in love with rock and roll, and I was enamored of, uh, you know, Jimmy Page and Tony Iommi and all these guys. And I thought, mm. I want to learn how to play guitar. And then my friend, uh, the, a friend of my sister's, this guy named Rodney, he used to leave his harmony guitar at our house and mm. it was a nice uh, har old harmony guitar and I would pick it up and I would start playing it and then they offered this guitar course and I thought let me take guitar and that launched me into like learning guitar and and really becoming obsessed with uh, going out and getting getting guitar player magazine and trying to figure out how people were doing certain things right, and right. techniques right and uh, it got me into my first cover band when I was 14 years old, Cobra, where we played the hits of the day. And then that led to the nihilistics. And at some point, I really just stopped learning stuff. You know, I, mm -hmm. I, I got to a certain level of proficiency and I, and I stalled at that level. Mm -hmm. And, and I, I feel really heartbroken nowadays when I think about the great gear that I have. You know, mm -hmm. this beautiful guitar, the amps that I have down here. And they uh, they mostly go they mostly go unused because I I think my playing plateaued at some point and when I first started talking to Keith about like taking some lessons because you you're now teaching guitar mm -hmm. and you have been for years now right yeah I mean, yes um I, I, the thought was I wanna I wanna really learn how to play instead of the half-assed fucked up way that I've learned how to play right. which is you know I mean what. Uh, I'm always the guy in the room. When I sit in the room with an actual guitar player, I don't mm. want to play because I don't want them to know how bad I am. I don't want them to go, right. oh, yeah, you're just a wanker. You know what I mean? Oh, sure, and sure. So, and so you've dealt with this a lot. You've taught all levels of students, have you not? Oh, that's, yes, all levels, including, like, I've, I, including teaching people that could play a little better than me. Really? That it happens from time to time, um, and it, that, that'll, that motivated me to get better. It actually motivated me to go back to guitar lessons myself at one point, as a matter of fact. Um, Who have you taken guitar lessons from, by the way? Um, Richard Lloyd was my primary teacher. Um, I, who you were just on tour with. Who I was just way. on tour with, yeah. Headed um, to FMU's Monty Hall on the 17th? Are we playing in Monty Hall or are we just playing in the studio? Oh, I, I that I don't know. Studio. I thought it was a Monty Hall show. but you, I think it's you, a studio. Are you doing an appearance on someone's show then, I guess? I guess. Okay. I'm on, and it's whatever, it's on the 17th, but... Um, of October, yeah. Yes. Um, and then aside from Richard, um, maybe there was in my life three other guys that I paid for a few guitar lessons from. And one of them was a really good teacher based out of L.A. that was associated with, like... Um, you know, Tony Gilkison and had been in Lone Justice at some point, but I can't remember the guy's name. And it's a shame because he was a great teacher and I would love to shout out or even friend him on Facebook. Uh, that having been said, uh, but Richard was the only teacher I had for a very long time. How does he approach teaching you to how to play Richard Lloyd? How does he approach it? Yeah, I mean, is your approach different than his yeah, approach? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very different because um, Richard's approach... Well, I also have to say I can't speak for him totally because... I haven't had a le I haven't sat down for a lesson with him in you know almost ten years for a lesson, yeah. so that means he might he might be working differently than he used to. But one of the things about Richard was um, Richard is really all like scales in theory, very nuts and bolts, very learning the components. Um, he will not teach you a guitar. He will not give a guitar lesson where he'll teach you a song. 
I mean, if you are trying to play a song and you want him to help you play it better, like he might do that, but he ain't like, there's a lot of kinds of lessons that the casual student wants right. that um, Richard won't do. He, he doesn't do beginners. And it's sort of like with him, you don't get to choose like, oh, I'm interested in this versus that. Like he has his own program. So if you go to him, um, you do his program. We got to move that mic just a little bit because the guitar strap's hitting it. So oh. just move it a little further along on your shirt. To the middle? Like, like in the middle. That should, that should work. Strong, strong. Uh-huh. Oh, there we go. Yeah, that's better. Yeah, I'll uh, either leave that in or cut it out. One of those two. Okay. Um, but that, you know, that to me is kind of what I want to learn. I, I want to learn how to actually run the neck. I want to. I want to learn. And when you know, you had given me a couple of lessons. What last year mm-hmm. uh, when I thought I wanted to pick things up, and mm-hmm. you know, we talked about establishing an actual baseline of what I do know, and mm-hmm. then trying to work from there. And I, I'll be honest, I don't know a hell of a lot. I mean, when I would solo, uh-huh. I was sort of making it up as I went, right. trying to make it sound right, right, instead of actually knowing what I was doing. Right. It was, right. Yeah. So, yeah. so I'm trying to be really, I'm trying to be really honest about my skill level. Right. You know? And I, look, when it comes to playing chords, you know, bar chords, whatever, I could do the basic ones, mm-hmm. the more esoteric chords I'm a little shaky on. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, really, what I want to learn how to do is if I wanted to play a solo mm-hmm. and, and, and actually play it so it sounds like I know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is that when someone comes to you to learn, is that a specific request they make along oh, those lines? Oh, sure, sure. I mean, that's a very, uh, you know, that's a common one. Like, I yeah. mean, and sound like I know what I'm doing. And the thing that's good about that is that there is very simple answers to these things. <laughs> So here, the first way that you have to, like, a thing that people have an idea about coming into lessons generally is that there's something that they don't know yet that if they know, if they add it to what they already have, like, say you, you know, think like, okay, I have my packet of what I can do. Right. Now, on top of that, I want to put this other thing. Um, I don't know if I'm if this is the right example, but with, with as as with respect to the thing of um, soloing and sounding like you're knowing what you're doing, yeah. So that means first of all, knowing what you're doing, sounding like what you know what you're doing. When you you when you play stuff, yes. Now that you feel like you know what you're doing, do you actually know what you're doing in the uh, first place? I, I probably don't. <laughs> yes, I mean, I, I probably don't. You know, like when uh, I when I learned, I you know, I did a hoof and mouth symphonia finale a few years ago at FMU, where I sat down and I learned what Neil Young was doing during Powderfinger, and I mm-hmm. really just learned it by rote. I just okay. learned it by listening to it and trying to replicate it mm-hmm. without really. I mean, and he's one of those guys. You know, talk about whatever guitarist you like, but he, to me, he's a guy that's about feel and, mm-hmm. and not technique. He's, Absolutely, he, he doesn't care about technique. He's not interested in mm-hmm. you know what's the right note to play. He's more interested in. in, mm. in well, that's where I have to stop you. Okay, because here's the thing: is that like no, we 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 have, we have um, the name Richard Lloyd has been evoked. Right. Um, so I mean, that's one of my favorite guitar players, besides my personal dealings and friendship or whatever you want to call it with him over the years. But what Richard Lloyd is known for um, is he's known in television. They're known for being really fucking smart. Yeah. And Richard, of course, um, through, you know, he had the column in Guitar World. He's been teaching for a long time. And I'm telling you that he cracks the whip on your ass. Right, right. Now, a guy like Richard knows, obviously, how to, to know the right notes. 
Neil Young, um, I've, I've learned a lot of his solos. And of course, a lot of the times you're going for more what you're kind of call the field in solo. Right. The thing that makes Neil Young solos work is he hits the right fucking notes, make no mistake. Oh, um, really? Yeah, absolutely. They might, it might sound like he is... Like he stumbled upon them accidentally. Yes. Which I, is the compelling part of his playing. Yes. It sounds like he's just sort of making it up as he but goes along. That could be true, too. Yeah, yeah. He now, just he yeah. knows the rules, though, in other words. Well, here's the thing, is that when you... Like, a, a, a real trouble of um, teaching guitar lessons to people, and for myself being a student, is that if you read the history, like you read, all right, if you read Neil Young's autobiography, he's like, yeah, I, I had a, like one lesson with this guitar teacher when I was eight, and he tried to make me read music, and I didn't like it, and I never took lessons anymore. And now, you, if a guy you're like... calling bullshit on that, or are you... Uh, no, I'm no, not okay. calling bullshit on that. Yeah. I'm just saying, it's just an unfortunate problem that a lot of the great geniuses of rock and roll history... Are are like very self-taught. Um, no one is really self-taught because you always are picking things up from the people that you play with. Right. And if you're not playing with people, you're not really doing shit. So so the thing is, is that let's if we if we back up to learning about what the right notes are, right? Mm-hmm. Now, if you are listening to a music and you like the way that Neil Young's guitar solo sounds, you hear notes that sound right to you, and something clicks in your head. Now, people that are gifted, they hear those notes when they're playing themselves. Like, it's like, like how to, so people that are gifted might intuitively just like ram right into those notes and, and know, and just instinctively feel where to hammer just because they hear it, they like it, they repeat it, they hear it, they learn patterns and connections. Okay. Um, but what I always say to students is, as I say, like, like, you know, figuring it out for yourself and being self-taught is a great approach if you're a genius. Aha! Okay, well, I am most definitely not a genius, especially yeah. when it comes to guitar. Like, I, I mean, I just remember Friday and Saturday nights in the living room of, uh, you know, my mother's house in Lindenhurst with my Univox amp and my Electroharmonics linear power booster trying to make it as loud as I possibly could and going over to her record player and constantly lifting the needle up and going back to the beginning of some track and trying to play along with it mm-hmm. and, and fake my way along with it. But I, I never, you know, I never took, I, except for that junior high school class I told you about, mm-hmm. I never took any guitar lessons until right. we sat down yeah. a few months ago. So I, I consider myself a neophyte yeah. when it comes to all this stuff, and I'm certainly not a genius. So where, yeah. where should we begin today? I mean, what, well, what would be what, a useful thing to do in this lesson? Well, there you go. You had your question, and let's, mm. let's repeat your question since we uh, have talked a lot. Your, your original, uh, my, your my original question. question was, okay, I, w- I want to learn how to solo on the neck and make it sound like I know what I'm doing. Okay. You know. So here's, here's what we got to do. The quickest way to understand the concept of how to get that mm-hmm. is what makes a note sound good in the context of a solo? Mm-hmm. What, I mean, that, that's actually a quiz question. Like, what would your be an idea? Like, how do you, like, what, what, what does this, the sound of a right note sound like to you? I am not a fan. I mean, look, there's all different kinds of playing, and yeah. if we talk about players, I would that would be an easier way for me to answer the answer the question. Yeah, name I'm, your favorite. Player. I'm a fan of players who do more with less, you know, and right. and guys like Neil Young. I've we've talked about Jimmy right. Page. He's probably my my favorite guitar player. I mean, that is a guy that can rip off a lot of notes, but mm-hmm. he's generally not known 
for you know for that approach to playing like some guys who play metal for instance who are about packing a lot of notes into you know per per minute um, you have a quizzical look on your face. Well, I want to back up because what I want to looking for is because you're talking about like amounts of uh, playing, like uh, yeah. those guys that play a lot, guys play. I, I, we just want to find out about. Okay, let's think about. Well, if you want to find out how to play the right note, right? Like, what, what is the right note, dude? I'll, I will give up. I'll, I will just. I mean, I'll, I'll give up the answer that I'm trying to to, to prod out. Okay. It's very simple. When you're playing, if you're soloing, you're soloing over chords. Okay. The notes that work, that are guaranteed to work... Are parts of that chord? Are notes from the fucking chord, yeah. And the thing is, <laughs> that <laughs> what makes you sound that like you... That sounds so easy, Keith. <laughs> it is true, and it, it is. It can't be that easy. It is that easy. It's and not. Then what it, but not only that, but it's even more that the root note of the chord. So, I mean, right. this going into music theory, let's say that, for simplicity's sake, if we're sticking with basic major and minor chords... Yes. Those are notes that have three notes in each chord. Those three notes are going to go the, sound the best over that chord. Other notes can also work depending on context. But the root note, which is whatever the chord's letter name is, the root note is always the most powerful. And specifically, like if, like say if you want to use the example of Jimmy Page, right? And you could talk about anyone that comes from the blues-based tradition. And then, if we're talking about rock and how to sound like you're getting to the right notes, yeah. And the blues-based tradition, well, we're in my comfort zone, but right. we're also in a very practical way for it to break down. Um, the whatever the chord is called, if the chord is called A, the best note you can land on is A. But the thing is. If you, whatever you play, wrap up on a good note, mm -hmm. that's what makes you sound like you know what you're doing. That yeah. gets into what we would call phrasing. But the big thing that makes people sound like, say, like the amateur sound versus the more like experienced sound is that whether someone solos and they're just moving their fingers kind of continuously. Right. Even, I, I, you know, I would not name names, but I will say that people that get actually away with being considered really good. Yes. They do this bullshit where like like it's just like it's noodling in the area and you don't hear a an idea. Like you don't hear a beginning and an end of an idea right. or a phrase. So what this turns into is talking about target notes. Okay. So now the best way to start to look at this is that we'll go with the traditional route which I'm sure we covered before. Um, the key of rock is A. Okay. I mean, that's the most important key of rock, so let's see if I'm going to... Let's make an A chord. Make, and make sure you include the open A string when you do that, or else it's not... Open A string. Yeah, okay. And this is an A as well, right? Exactly. Now, a thing about... Um, uh, blues-based playing, this is where we're immediately going to hit the wall. Things are going great, and now we're already hitting the wall. Something yeah. confusing is already happening. When you learn how to play your, your pentatonic minor scale, mm -hmm. it's the best way to visualize, or how to start to get a grip on visualizing, finding the good notes. Yes. But because of um, the, the blues-based thing has to do with knowing how to play minor over major. Okay. There's some I'm subtle tricks. Yeah, you haven't yeah. lost me yet. Okay. Um, well, the, basically what I'm going to get to is I'm about to say, I just told you, you have to pick notes from the chord. Yes. And then I'm going to show you a scale that very specifically has, like, a different note. 
Not, but anyway, anyway. You son of a bitch. I'm ahead of myself. A little bit. Fucking me up already. But let's look at our, let's go to our A, our fifth fret A bar chord. Okay. Now, for the sake of our discussion, what we have to do is we have to turn it minor. Yeah. So all I did to turn it minor was I lifted my middle finger. Right. Now. Yes. Um, now, do, do you remember how to play this A minor pentatonic scale at the fifth fret? Do you remember that shape? Right. And uh, now, since this is a lesson, I'm going to have to ask you to see if you could do that again and use your pinky for all, like, like use this consistent fingering, um, first finger, first fret, third finger, seventh fret, pinky, eighth fret. Nope. So you're going to go, yeah. Nice. That's very nice. Um, all right. So let me try that one more time. You're yes, doing... Now, the first thing that I will ask you to do I have is, pinky trouble. Because I... Yeah, that's the other thing I never learned properly. I never really learned the use... Unless I was doing something like... You know, otherwise I never really... When I soloed, incorporated the pinky. I know you're a fan of using the pinky. Actually, so. I am a fan and not a fan. It depends on the scenario. Because <laughs> I have bitched out dudes for using their pinky and been like, Oh, you don't use your pinky then. Um, but that... You're a pinky fascist is what you are. Uh, well, I have my way of doing things, you know, like I have my way of doing things. But, um, um, but that, that actually put a pin in this issue of the pinky, the question of the pinky. We'll call it the pinky question. Okay. Um, because there, there really is a, lot, there is a, there's a lot to say about the pinky. But going back to this uh, scale here, now you're playing the minor, A minor pentatonic scale, right? And now I'm going to ask you to play again an A minor chord. Now, do you notice, and I'll play one, two. Visually, you should be able to see that every single note your fingers are holding down are in that scale. Yes. Okay. Now, how many notes are in the pentatonic scale? That's a quiz question. I'm going to just guess eight, but I'm probably wrong. Let's go with pre prefix penta as major clue. Uh, penta is five. Let's go with five. Five. Okay, let's go with five. Holy crap. All right, okay. All right now, um, and I said before, now in a minor chord, yes, or a major or minor chord are the simple chords. So a major chord is this, and a minor chord is this. Right. Those two chords each only have three notes in them. Um, there's six strings, so yeah. that means notes get repeated. But that is why... Um, my teacher, Richard Lloyd, in one of my favorite quotes of... No, it is my favorite quote of any guitar instruction I'm ever aware of, is um, he said, pentatonic is the cocaine of scales. Okay, I like that. Because I can live with that. you can do no wrong. You can do no wrong. Yeah. Um, but what that means, though, is that, like we said that the right note is going to be um, in the chord, right? So if the pentatonic scale has five notes and three of them are already in the chord... Your average, like like the, the, the um, law of averages of you hitting a righteous note is better than 50-50. Really? And the thing is, and then if you're on a not as good note, your next note definitely is going to be a right note. Um, but now to even break it down a little bit more. Now let's say that if we're talking about rock and roll, or if you prefer, uh, we'll call it rock. 
playing while the teacher is talking, by the it's way. It's not good, I know. Uh, it happens to be at work all the time, and I guess I'm at work now, so I just got to tell you. All right. No problem. No problem. Take it in. I'll stop. Take it in. You madman. Goddamn so, wanker. So, with the, yeah, so, um, but now what we want to, you know, to, to try to approach this as simply as possible, when we're talking about rock, um, then you're talking about something called a power chord. And all a power chord is, is that you leave out either the happy note or the sad note, and you end up with only what's called the root and fifth. You isolate those two notes, then you're not major or minor. So, um, basically, if you're playing a blues figure, like say if you're playing this, what you're doing is you're changing from a fifth to a sixth. Again, that's more uh, theory than I want to go into, but the point is, it's not major or minor, because the note that makes it major or minor isn't in there. Yeah. 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 So, once you're playing power chords, or like a blues figure like that, that doesn't contain the note that makes major or minor, that's where you get this thing that you can play minor over major. Okay. Now, going back again to the original question, how do you find the right note? So, let's just say that we're agreed now that we're going to be in the key of A, um because it's the obvious place to start, and A is the chord of rock. And um, now the first thing we want to know is if we, we, we take our scale, the A minor pentatonic, mm -hmm. all right, the first thing is figure out which notes are A. Those are the guys that are our main first number one go-to guys. Okay. Okay. So I would, I would venture a guess this is A here. Yeah. Yes. That's definitely A. That's definitely A. Um. Now, the other thing, so now if we go back to this this chord. So now here, if we have this, this is A, and that's the same note that you said was A from talking about the scale. Now, the next note, let's just say we are going to agree that we know that the next note is not A. We're not going to worry about what it is. Well, we know it's a chord tone, but the next note, that's A again. So this note is A. This note is A, and this note is A. And then, if this note is A, that means this note is A. Right. Now, because you can do this. Yep, that's, 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 yes. Yes. Exactly. No, and that, and actually looking at it that way, if you start to look at that, like, um, looking at the neck, as having like the E strings constrict, I'm trying to think of like using the E You're strings as your binder, fencing it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like it's a way to like like the it, like how you think your hand position because um, you have the the low E string and the high E. So it's sort of like if both of the outside strings are the same note, you learn from the outside and then move in. Now moving into the center, right? So, so this. This is. Now kind let, of an ACDC thing, kind of, isn't it? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, basically, yeah. that's, it's an ACDC thing that he would have got from that same um, T-Bone Burnett or, you know, whoever first played Frank right. at the Rollin' or whatever. Um, now, the, where the A is here, that's the one that's in the middle. So, now, that's why you'll hear, say, a lick that'll go, like... 
So if I, oh, actually, you know what that lick is? That's the first lick from uh, the solo for Sympathy for the Devil, except it's in A instead of E. Okay. So that's a great example of a um, guy that did a really good solo, that Sympathy for the Devil solo. It really works. Yeah. But this first thing he does... So this first note that he starts with... High E string. And then when you pull here... And then, yeah, so now the thing is, that sounds like a nice little flurry of notes. Mm -hmm. Oh, it just happens that the first note is the root note and the last note is the root note. Yeah. Sympathy for the Devil, that's a great example of a solo of a guy that sounds like he knows what he's what doing. What he's doing. So it's... So the first thing... Second yeah, if you could, it would help me if you can make your uh, level comparable to mine. Because, okay, yeah, that's good. Yeah. So now the first thing is like you have to have this embedded so that if I go, like it's obvious what the note. Yeah. There you go. Right. So there's basically a whole, you know, limitless bunch of licks that start on this note and then on this note. Um, as far as coming from the, um, the minor pentatonic shape or what they call the box. Okay. Or what they call the minor pentatonic box. But now another thing, what we'll do, um, I'll take this a little bit sideways, but we're sticking with this right note idea. Um, this was a thing that my... Um, my first really good guitar teacher uh, showed me about soloing, um, and this is this is this is this is big. This is big. Are you ready for big? News? I am ready to have my mind blown. Okay. Yes. So the right notes, right? We've covered the right notes are the notes from the chord, and now we're also going to say the right note, the best notes are the notes from the chord. Duh. We're just just to put a little. Mm -hmm. It's the economy stupid vibe going. I love it. Now, thank you, thank you. Now, here's the next thing, and this is really escapes everyone, and especially escapes people that want to learn how to solo, even if they can already play, do other things on guitar well, is that um, when people think about learning how to solo, they think about learning where the notes in the neck are, which is important, and then learning more so they have more options, also important. What they skip that's most important is that rhythm is more expressive in a way than what the notes are. So to give you like an example of like, if you take any example of anyone who you think sounds like a hot shit badass on lead guitar, mm -hmm. and um, all right, and an example I would love to pull out myself um, is, is Ross the Boss from The Dictators. Um, because every single thing he does is like articulate and he hits the notes like really hard like he rocks mm -hmm. but when you listen you hear total clarity no slop and where the power of it comes from and where the sound of a guy really aggressively playing really well comes from mm -hmm. is that he's hitting so hard on 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 the rhythm now um if we take the solo sympathy for the devil which i will I'll do a little you know so you got wait 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 Wait. Like that, 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 that. 
right. do, 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 like you're hearing you're he's playing more I mean Keith of course is the great um, rhythm player but he's playing he, what he's doing in Sympathy for the Devil that makes that solo so great is it's the way that he's playing with the rhythm right um, so the first thing anyway that this guy had me do was you have to learn how to play the one note solo aha so it's the idea is say if we'll play a 12 bar blues okay um do you know how to play a 12 bar blues in the key of a uh i think um so it would be basically something like that Something like that. Yeah. So, I, I mean, those me are the, the three chords. Show me the right way. Well, I mean, there's kind of there, there's permutations on it, but basically, um, here's you would go from the A. But I'm, I'm going to count it out now. Here's what we'll do. We'll start. We're going to start playing it together. Okay. And then once I am confident you found your feet, I will start hitting you with the one note solo. Okay. Okay. So. Um, I'm going to be, um, if you're more comfortable in the bar chord position, we can stay in the bar chord position. Yeah, let's do that. Okay. So, um, here's what we'll do is we're going to say, um, A is one. Have you heard the expression one, four, five? Yes. Okay. This is the that, one, four, five, right? That's right. A is one. D is four. D is five. Okay. So now, um... There's variations on how you do this as far as when you specifically change to each chord, but I'm going to start walking you through the most generic, talking okay. you through it, and you will probably start to just fall into a feeling with it. So on a count of four, we're going to start on A, and I'm going to count out loud as we're playing. So one, two, three, four. One, two, two. Now we go to D. One, two, three, four, two, two. Now back to A. Two, three, four, two, two, three. Up to the five. One, two. Down to the four. One, two. Now the turnaround. One, two, three, four. One, two, five, four. Back to the beginning. One, two. Okay, now you keep this going, and I'm going to start giving you the one note solo, and I'm going to use this note.
Okay. So, I would like to congratulate you on doing an excellent one-note solo. That's all I'm going to do from now on. Just do that. Well, you are the Neil Young fan, and he does have um, one of, if not, if not the most famous one-note solo of all time. Yeah. So, there you go. I know. Which song is that? Oh, actually, there's two. There's yeah. two. Because there's this there's this one, right? There's this one. Um, uh, uh, I think I'm in the wrong key, though, but it's in Down the River when you're... Yeah. Oh. oh, that's good. Yeah, here, 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 here it is. Yeah, there. You play the solo. I'll play the chords. Yeah, you're. Yeah. Ah, wait. Phrasing. Okay, now I'm going to start playing the chords, and then when you're feeling it, you come in with the classic right. one-note solo. question wow right. now do you happen to know what those two chords are that we're playing that that solo happens over uh it's play it's like it's one sounds like an e it's, to be specific e minor seven but e is enough to know okay um, and but it's e minor seven to a yeah now with e minor seven clearly the um root note is e with a the fifth of a which is the note that's in the chord that is not major or minor, the power chord note. So if you're playing an A chord, this is your A. That note is an A. So what's he doing? He's playing one note that's in both chords over the two chords back and forth. So that's, again, that is a great example of a guy playing the right note, sounding like he knows what he's doing. Um, now back to the, um, so the one note solo, which we had great success with. And, yes. uh so now, the next thing you want to do is um, we want to go uh, two-note solo. So, okay. Now, after a one-note solo, a two-note solo is a real luxury. Like, you really have a lot of... It starts to feel like things could really open up with, it, with this other note. Right. And what we're going to do is we're going to keep the blues. Um, you know, um, it's everyone's favorite way to teach who is a person who likes rock and is lazy. And or loves the blues, but anyway, Not both the, of those. The, uh, well, there you go. Uh, right. but, but here's the thing: is um, this so we this note we've esa uh, establishes the root note, right? So that's third, third finger, seventh fret, right? Let's go. Put your th use your third finger for that. Now, remember before when I was doing the rigmarole about having the minor over the major? Yes. So here, this note here, that's the minor. Okay. Now, that's a minor third, so to say. Now, what the blue note is, I mean, the word blue note, I'm almost scared to use it, but I want to use it this way for this context. 
if you listen to any of these guys, I mean, this will go for all the classic blues guys, but let's just say if we're going to talk about the Clapton, Beck, Page, and the, those descent, their descendants, um, the, the trick is that when you're, this note here, it depends on the context, but when this note is played over the major, you get this thing called a quarter bend. That means you bend the note not all the way to the next note, halfway between the note you're on the next note. So it's not major or minor. So instead of this or this, you get this. As a matter of fact, let, now we're playing spoonful, right? Yeah. Now what you want to learn to do is to squeeze this one enough. Yeah. Slow. Yeah. Yeah. So the idea is that, like, those... It, now, if you listen to the playing of any of these guys, like, they build in this kind of um, motor thing that, in certain licks, that note just gets bent, like, that quarter amount. Right. Um, and, you, it, and I can't, you know, repeat it enough. Like, you know, Hendrix, Clapton, Beck, Page. Like, if you're listening to that stuff, it's it's just all over the place. So, what about David Gilmore? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Oh, yeah, definitely. Definitely David Gilmore. And David Gilmore is... A tremendous blues-based player. Mm -hmm. And from what I understand, the next thing he's working on is going to be really huge. Mm. <laughs> so anyway, this note, though, if we're like talking about being blues and having a right note, what we're going to do is we're going to think of this note as like, this is the blues note. This is like the sexy note. Right. This is the attitude note. So now we have our root note. <laughs> Now, and then if we want to put a little sass, okay. we squeeze this one in a little. Yeah. And, you know, and it always wants to be lazy and, or, you know, if you don't want to be lazy, you can't, but you can do whatever you want. But um, anyway, uh, give me the 12 bar. I will give you a two note solo and All then right. we will switch.
Hey, so man, you're cutting, you're, you're cutting loose. You're cutting loose. Though. I was you're cutting loose. Up. I was cutting loose a little bit. Yes, indeed. Cutting now, loose. I can tell you that just kind of listening to you while I was playing my own thing, adjusting my sound, listening to you in the background. Yeah. To me, you did not sound especially like a guy that just happened to be playing only two notes. Uh, I know. That's interesting that you can be that lazy and still sound like you're yeah, doing something. exactly. <laughs> well, I mean, it's not even... And the thing is, but, but think about it this way. Because like, the thing of what we've done, we've done it with one note. We've done it with two notes. What now, happens if we do three notes? Dear God. My theory is that if we can maintain this kind of thinking and clarity... Yes, you can go all the way, man. But yeah. that, but what, what I at the end of the day, like a lot of this kind of stuff is like once you know where your main target is, right? The noodling part, you know, the fucking around, moving your fingers around part is mechanics. Isn't that it? yeah, and that's how that starts to become. That's how you get the freedom to really like you know um, be spontaneous or improvise, and still sound like what you're doing. You know what you're doing because. If you, if you have, here, oh, here's my favorite analogy. And I know that I would have said this one to you in the original um, lessons. It's the pinball analogy. Okay. So it's like if you, how pinball is played, right? You, 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 you keep on racking up a score by not letting the ball drain. Mm-hmm. So let's say that if we're soloing, we have a correct scale. We have a key. That means there's certain correct notes that are right for the key. And then if we play a clunker, like a bad note that just sounds bad because it's not in the right key, that's the equivalent of the ball draining. Mm -hmm. Now, if you're playing pinball, you can get your score gradually higher by keeping the ball in play. But if you want to get some free games, you Mm. know you got it. You got to hit targets. Like, you you can't just be flip-flapping. You got to try and be aiming for the dinger. Okay, I hear you. So, now, the thing is, what we do with with, um, building up that faculty on, on the guitar is that, you know, we, we're learning right now, we're taking the most basic scale, but as basic as it is, much of our favorite guitar playing that has ever been committed was done in that exact scale. And we're learning where the big buzzer is. Okay. And then what we do from there is we gradually add other buzzers. Um, but really now, the next one, what I want to add for the third note, is this, is that and we have, we have the, we've done the minor third, Now what we want to add is what's called the flat seven. So the flat seven is the one that's a whole step down, yeah, from the root, right? So now, um, what we're still trying to do—the reason why you see how we're keeping it like we went middle note. This note is the middle of that pentatonic scale. It's the root note in the middle. So it's kind of the center of gravity for this scale. Right. So when we go to the next note up. And now we go to the next note down and come back. Yeah. So what we're doing is, even though we're putting in other notes, there's one note is still more important than the other notes. And the other notes we're thinking of as a kind of diversion from just having to be required to only have one note. Okay. If that makes sense, as I like to say. They're like dancing around the root note, kind of? Exactly. Yeah. That's precisely, that's the perfect, perfect way of putting it. Um, if you would favor me with a 12 bar, I will take the first, um, I'll take a couple rounds of three note soloing.
I snuck in another note. Sorry. You I know, did, I, I, I want to hear for a minute. Well, um, you, it, it, it slipped past me. It, it slipped past me. My guest is Keith Martell, who's giving me a guitar lesson down in my basement, and um, I'm sitting here with my 1968 Les Paul. And you said what year was this? 1990. I think it was 92. If I knew it's how to a read the 59 reissue. That's right. Is what it is, right? Right. Um, and uh, he's playing through my plush. Uh, tube amp with uh, 100 watts and two 15-inch speakers. That thing's a beast. Uh, it's not even on two. I'm not even sure the volume is up to two. And I'm playing through uh, a vintage Epiphone Electra amp from the mid-60s, which is a little 10-inch uh, speaker and um, reverb. And Keith also has the Big Muff. Mm-hmm. That's not a personal attack. <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's, a, <laughs> it's a distortion. It's a bi- it's uh, based on electroharmonics uh, circuit, right? It's actually made by electroharmonics, but these were sort of the the mid '80s reissue of the original Big Muff, and uh, I love the sound of this thing. I think it sounds really good. And I'm using an MXR Distortion Plus, and that's about what we're using here. And I think that brings us up to speed. So, where did you want to? What did you want to pick up with after the? The three notes. We're well, I guess. Three notes. Well, the I mean, the obvious answer is four notes, but okay. Um, but a, a little bit, um, which I would even do this if we weren't being recorded. Is okay. I would ask you, like, like now, um, you did the one note solo, the two note solo, the three note solo. Yes. Um, now, how did you feel doing that versus what you would have habitually done in the past if you were just, like, fucking around jamming? Because that's what we were doing right now. You were fucking around jamming. Yeah. So what would be, you, like, what was the, what was your difference in your experience of the way we did it just now versus what you're used to? Um, I, I think usually what I, when I get into trouble when I'm soloing, soloing mm. is when I try to either go too fast or again i slip outside of the realm of possibility and i hit well you know what you said i drain the ball basically yeah, it's like I, I hit a clunker note yeah. that obviously doesn't belong in there yeah a clam is yeah, as clam. buddy rich used to call yeah. them you know a clam oh sure well people and still call them that too. they still call them that <laughs> i hit a clam and i'm like uh yeah that and that it just, you know, bad enough for the person listening to it. It, 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 it's like hits the ear wrong, but it tends to stop me in my tracks as well. So yes, yes. you know, but, but I, I felt good about what I was doing there. I thought, you know, I had the rhythm, as you point that's, out. Rock and roll is about rhythm. See, that's what you I know? what I heard is that everything that you sounded like that you played sounded confident and intentional. Yeah, I think the, I mean, if, if I'm going to be honest about my skills, too, and try to not, you know, just uh, be uh, Mr. Humility here for a second, I think one of the things I got down really good is, you know, bending strings and, and how to put enough pressure on the string to make it sound right. I think mm. one of the earliest things I learned is, you know, how to, how to actually get a note out of, out of the string. So uh-huh. I, I, think I, I think I have that down, you know. Well, Would it, you disagree or... Well, I mean, we'd ha- I'd have to I'd have to go through a whole uh, study of how you bend strings in every in every context. But for now, for the moment, though, what I will say that does would, would what supports what you say is that um, one of the big problems that people have with soloing versus um, like um, rhythm is that basically everyone this is the broadest generalization possible, but especially like intermediate kind of people. 
Um, everyone plays rhythm harder than they need to, yeah. and then when they go to play a solo, they they don't hit anywhere near what they need to. Yeah. So the thing that you had was like like you were attacking the strings when you were soloing with the same amount of force as you were in the rhythm, and that was one of the things that I said it, it sounded confident and intentional. Oh, thank you. Why you earned it, sir. <laughs> um, but the other thing that I would venture is that. Um, Another place where I learned um, a lot from was one of my best high school friends. And I'm not going to say his name because he won't even let me um, tag him in public posts on Facebook because he's crazy. Okay. Because he's a genius. But um, w this is when we were really starting to learn. Um, but he, and he was already, he was one of these, he was, he was gifted. He was a gifted person who was miles ahead and just understanding shit way before me. And one day he said to me, he said, the difference in, in what you're doing and what I'm doing is um, you play it to hear it, I hear it to play it. So the idea there is that play it to hear it is kind of like, okay, well, I want to play uh, Black Dog. Mm. Um, I've been told where to put my fingers in what order, and I'm going to try to play it, and I hope, I hope Black Dog comes out of the amplifier. <laughs> and then if maybe it will and maybe black dog will come out of the amplifier when you hear someone that anything that is really good sounding eh, yeah i hate making these anything and everything but I, I can't stop myself but like like if you're listening to to like a great player you're hearing someone expressing something that's inside them and bringing it out like they're like so so to me like when you're playing the three notes solo Part of that know what you're doing thing is you sound like you're articulating intentional thoughts on purpose rather than hitting right notes. That's a little bit of what that's what um, starting to limit it to one and two and three notes does. Right. Is because when you're limiting it to fewer notes, you take thinking away. Thinking is bad. Okay. <laughs> thinking is bad. But the thing is, you're rolling with it because it's in your head. So since you have so few options, you're not thinking about what you're going to do. You're just in the moment. And you sound like you're communicating something that you're, you sound expressive. You don't sound like you're just trying to fit. fit. Right. It, right. Okay. I, I, I'm with you. I think I know what you're saying. So how, how does this work when you want to go beyond three notes, though? I mean, where, where do you, is this a lesson you mm -hmm. can carry with you no matter how, what you're doing? Well, or? it kind of it goes back to, the, it, it goes back to, to my opening thing. Which is like a lot of it comes back to guys like like because I'm someone that learned a lot of how to play guitar and bass and played in bands like yourself. I learned most of that before I had any sort of anything remotely resembling like any kind of real training or mm -hmm. real information. Um, so what it comes down to is, say if you're playing your, your most basic chords. Yeah, we have E, yeah. A, D, G, and C. All right, almost everyone that's um, you know not like like highly advanced does not know what each note in every one of those chords are and how they relate to each other. Yeah. Now we're talking about three note chords here and only five shapes, so it's sort of like like there's all this stuff you already know how to do that you don't know how how it connects to each other. So really, like the path forwards is kind of the path backwards. So that like a lot of it is just like understand. It's a really becomes a matter of understanding what you're doing in the first place, and then it's sort of like it. Be, it's like a lifestyle habit where 
you know, um, let's take the subject of bar chords. Like, if you're playing bar chords, do you always know what chord you're on, or do you, are some just frets? I sort of, I mean, I kind of know. Yeah. I kind of know. I mean, I know, you know, A, and I know uh, D, and then this would be E, would it not? Yes, it would. Yes, it would. So it's the same thing as uh, an E down here, which I now I've totally forgotten. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But like, you, well, you see, a. that was a great, the way you answered was perfect to my point. Because yeah. like now say the way you're like, yeah, well, I think it's kind of this, it's kind of yeah. like, like all of that stuff, like everything you already kind of know. Yeah. You turn into like, you really know. And that is, that can be gradual. But like um, one of the great things, uh, like going back to um, talking about Richard as a teacher is Richard that Lloyd. Richard Lloyd. Mm-hmm. Um, is that his way of teaching was very, very, very guitar-specific, kind of um, fairly rock-specific um, as far as technically. But the thing is that the guitar is, you know, the, the relationship between the strings, which causes how chords are shaped, and then also causes how the um, scale patterns are laid out on the fretboard. Mm-hmm. The guitar is designed in a way where certain things click and certain relationships work. And um, a lot of it has to do with, um, going back to the original question, like the finding the good notes. Like every single chord you play, yes. in, in a perfect world, you would know every note in the chord and, and how it relates to the other notes in the chord. Now, I say in a perfect world, but let's put it this way. Um, the Rolling Stones, um, going back to their earliest times, I mean, that's not a band that was celebrated for their like, very advanced like, like a cerebral com- complexity. No. There are no yes. There are no yes. Yes. Yes, they're not. <laughs> um, but like, if you, now, if you listen to... Um, the Keith Richards, like any Keith, like a Keith Richards solo on on Bitch or whatever, threw me off by making that wacky statement. That I, oh, right, the right notes. No, oh, what those guys know is, like before, this is very theoretical, but um, it's kind of you or me, or you're talking about like learning stuff from Guitar Player magazine. Yes, right, and. Um, then also then after guitar player like really like late 80s into the early 90s more and more there was a proliferation of uh, magazines that had what's called tablature yes and that's how any idiot yes. can get his hands on some paper and try to start playing stairway to heaven which is exactly what i did at some point i now have an app on my phone that does the same thing now, there is more yeah. of it out there than ever and right. more of the information is bad than ever but now going back backwards before that like so let's say we'll go back to the 60s we want to keep on talking about like the beatles and the stones and clapton and because that's the only, that's where my brain stops. <laughs> I hear you. But I mean, it's also, it also is what started, like, like basically Eric Clapton, I, I would name Eric Clapton to actually be the first guy that was sort of doing what we do now, what we call playing lead guitar rock, mm. rock lead guitar. Mm. All right, those guys, when they were learning, they were, I think, they were learning way more how to fit the right notes with the chords. They wouldn't get some book that says, here's a pentatonic scale, and then you could just fuck around with this over a three-chord progression. I think that the way they learn, from what I gather, from what I have seen and read in interviews, um, a lot of these guys have always claimed to not know scales. They don't know scales. They know what notes go with the chords, and um, that has also a lot to do with, if you listen to the Beatles and the Stones' music, 
before there was distortion and bar chords, um, Townsend. Yes. You know, is another example. Like, those guys actually knew, like, when I mentioned these major and minor chords, they knew how to play what's called, like, you know, inversions up and down, like, three strings. Like, they Is that can... a jazz thing, inversions, or is that... No, no? it's... It, it, the only... It's, it's, it's not a jazz thing, except, like, on, you'd only catch jazz people talking about it because it's even a thing like, like say, all right, here's an inversion thing. Let's see if I can say, if I go, um, let's see. Okay. That is an inversion of D. This is D. I should turn this down so it doesn't sound so shitty. That's D. Mm-hmm. And we all recognize this is substitute by the who. Yes. That's the D that you don't know, right? That's three notes. All right, so we're going to say this is the D. This is D, F sharp, and A. Now, if you play the D you already know, this is A, D, F sharp. Same notes, different order. So when you go from this, that's an inversion. Aha, uh-huh. and he was good at that. I mean, that was one uh, Towns- of t- Yes. Well, something, the best thing I ever heard Townsend say in an interview was that... Um, he learned the banjo first, and then he said he had a horrible guitar that he struggled with because the, the uh, strings were too high from the fret. Mm. And he kept on saying how he could never get it together with the guitar, and then he broke his low E string. And then he's struggling, then he breaks his high E string. Then he's struggling, then he breaks his A string. So all he has left is these middle three strings, D, um, the D, G, D, D, G, and B string. Mm-hmm. And he says, he says, like, that's when it clicked. That's when I understood how chords work. Because he goes, because all the basic shapes are based out of out of that. Mm. Now the thing is, all the basic shapes are based out of that. If you see it that way, right? But it was that he isolated three strings, and because he was playing, he didn't couldn't go to other strings. He figured out inversions and relationships because he was he the constraints, right? Kind of similar to an accidental version of the one note guitar solo. I hear you. I hear you. So where were we going with all this? Let's, we were going with four. We, well, we had one note, two note, right. three note, four, four notes. notes. Four notes. Okay. Now, once you get the four notes, it's almost like you might as well go all the way to the five notes. <laughs> Why well, stop at four? Well, sure. and also working out of the pentatonic scale, working out of the pentatonic scale, we have five um, total. So, but the thing is, we can stay on the same two strings because now... This new note that we'll put in, we have one. Now, instead of having the fifth note here, we're going to make the fifth note only a bend. What fret are you on? um, Same fret. Yeah, it's the seventh fret bend. Yeah. So now, now once we have that note, we have everything in the scale. Um, But we're only going to stay on these two strings and bend that note. So what, what, right. Now, give me the 12 bar. Okay. And then I'll give you the 12 bar. And now we'll see what we do. We're going to stay in this area. Okay.
you feeling on that? I felt pretty good about that. Cool. Especially when I did this thing. I felt pretty special. Okay. <laughs> Very proud of you. Yeah. As the jerky boys would say. Sizzle chest. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you do, huh? <laughs> um, so uh, now another thing. Now as we're um, now you see that we, we took that box. Yes. And then we're now now we're exploring the box. We're working from the middle out. So now we have only been fucking around with the two strings. Now we'll take a step back for a second. Okay. Now if we take a step back, we'll start with this. We'll start with their idea that we have if we take the bottom two notes, these two notes, the fifth fret A string, which is the first finger, right? And then the seventh fret E string, this. That's what's called a power chord, right? Yes. Okay. Now remember you used the word um, we were talking using the word inversion? Yes. So an inversion all an inversion means is you you flip it around, flip it and reverse it. Yeah, sure. flip it flip it around. Um, I mean that's my goofball way of saying it. But in this case, if since there's only two notes, now if we invert this and this, the A and the E, go to the top two strings and it's E A. Nope, same fret. Yeah. Now um, give me a little of the twelve bar thing there. Check out. That there, yes. That's like the final. Uh, now we're going into into the world of like the one thing that Johnny Thunders knew how to do. Yeah. Um, but so part, so this is another one of these tricks is that we worked with the idea of staying in one um, position. Yeah. Playing in the box. So now what I was starting to do there is now that we know that if we have this chord, our power chord. That if we're just on the same fret at the top two strings, now we're soloing. Uh, rhythm. You know, it's like rhythm, solo, rhythm, solo. Right. So now if I'm going. Now, if I went up to D, would you know how to follow it to where D is? I think so. Okay. Yeah. 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 Now. Yeah. Okay. So, um, did we ever learn uh, the beginning of personality crisis? No. 
Uh, are you a fan? No. Yeah, I am. Fan of the New York Dolls? Sure. You're not I, an idiot? Oh, no, <laughs> no. I don't. Please. No, no, you used my favorite. I told you one time that um, the loop you made of the intro to Private, Private World, World yeah. was the greatest da, thing da, da, da. I had ever witnessed. And you had da, da, da. that slide, the way yeah. it kept on going back. The and it's like... Yes. That was the greatest loop ever. Yeah. Thank um, you. I still have that loop. I would like to have it as a ringtone. You still got that loop? So, well, anyway, um, so the personality crisis, yeah. the song is, um, it's C, D, G. So what he does is, yeah, when Thunders comes in, yeah. um, he, you have the C here. Where? Uh, eighth fret. Eighth fret, so that's uh, five, seven, eight. Okay. Yeah. Eighth fret, tenth fret. And then down to the third fret. Make sure that your third finger. Yeah. Oh yeah, I'm not playing the right shape. Anyway, right. So it's. A... Yeah. Yeah. Now, if now you play the rhythm with that uh, pinky. Yeah. Okay. Keep that going. I'm gonna go. Try that? Yeah. Right. One, two, three, four. Uh, Wait a where did you start again? You starts started... at, uh, yeah, C. There it is. I remember sitting for hours trying to learn Chuck Berry stuff like that. Funny you should mention that. I just um, I, I just had actually recently memorized that exact thing because of that Stones thing we did. The, um, yeah. So you go like... Um, And then he's back to that. Yeah. Um, Chuck, Chuck. Yeah. Yeah. But that, it's... Um, see, that would actually be a good place to start an entirely new lesson. Yeah. But one of the things about Chuck Berry is that it's a great example of... Um, uh, I, no, I'm not going to say anything shitty. <laughs> um, people just, people just have no idea, like, you, jerk off rock guitar players don't know what the fuck that shit is, and they think they do. <laughs> Are you saying it's a lot more complex than it would oh, appear on yeah. the surface, oh, and oh. therefore people and simplify also be, it? And, and, and they have not, up. yeah, and they, and they have not listened to the actual Chuck Berry, they listen to some right. guy playing. They listen to Rod Stewart's guitarist. 
Or, or someone, or so, you know, a shitty bar band version of the right. first lick of Johnny Be Good. Yeah. Um, like they just haven't, they haven't listened to the music and they don't know what they're talking about. And also, I don't know if they're thinking about, I don't know. Like I said, uh, take that whole part out. It was just, that was just a bunch of negativity. I'm trying oh, I'm to not be, oh, uh, no, I can't be, that, I can't, I yeah, can't be putting in. out all this negativity. Uh, all right, man. I'll, <laughs> listen, if you want, if you really want me to, I'll edit it. I'm I'll kidding. Take it out. I'm kidding. Uh, you know, we're, we're at an hour and 15 minutes anyway. So, oh, okay. you know, if you want to wrap things up, we can wrap things up. So yeah. Let's, let's wrap it up because so, basically any other thing is, but I, I will, I'll speak on the Chuck Berry thing a little bit more. Yeah. Um, cause I, I have to feel I owe everyone an apology. An explanation. Um, but Chuck Berry, he's, he's pre-rock. Um, right, yeah. And the thing is about his, his playing style is that very exact thing I was saying about knowing what notes go with which chords. He really, if you learn how to play the way he played, you can't learn how to play like he played without actually learning the neck correctly. Yeah. Um, so now, even if you mention the Rolling Stones, and like I said, because I just relearned all that stuff, um, Keith really learned Chuck Berry note for note. Um, guys used to be serious about things like that. And he really, like, like it's, it's the same thing with, like, Keith Richards. Like, he's the famous rhythm player, right? Yeah. Like, um, who occasionally plays a really cool guitar solo. He's not, like, it's not just that he's good at playing chords. Like, he understands chords. He knows how the notes relate to each other. He knows which ones are special. He knows how to lean into the ones that are going to make something pop versus mm -hmm. not. And that is why his rhythm playing is so expressive. And that's also why his lead playing, if somewhat perhaps technically limited, mm -hmm. is just right on the fucking nose all yeah. the time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting because I've been listening to a lot of Mick Taylor era Rolling oh, yes. Stones yes. lately. Yes. You know, and then just trying to get inside of what Mick Taylor is doing and in, and in terms of what Keith Richards is doing, it's a very interesting interplay there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, that to me is, I mean, if people talk about the golden era of the Stones, that, mm -hmm. that to me truly is those mm -hmm. albums that Mick Taylor was on. But, mm -hmm. um, you know. Absolutely. Uh, I tend I, to agree um, maximally. Yeah. Also, the thing is, too, is if you, I mean, I don't want to go ultra geek, but um, I don't know if you've listened to any of the like the Tara, the Mick Taylor era bootlegs are just so much more Mick, so much more Mick Taylor <laughs> because they really like get on the your records. Get yayas out and stuff like that. I mean, no, 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 get your yayas out. No bootlegs. You have to listen yeah. to bootlegs. I mean, get your yayas out. He was new. Like, there's plenty of badass playing from him on there, but like if you're listening to like the '72, '73. It's just, and they, what they did was they were recording it for either an album or for that movie, uh, ladies and gentlemen, The Rolling Stones. Yeah. Every song is a like a five minute guitar solo end to end. The dude never stops soloing ever, right. and he plays awesomely. But like compared to what he sounds like in the albums, it is appropriate the way he sounds on the albums. But on the albums, he's a lot more reined in. On on the uh, bootlegs, it's a lot more like listening to a Clapton kind of guy, right, um, right, and right. in a good in the best in the best way. But um, that's a guy I've studied uh, deeply. Yeah. Okay. Good. Yeah. Wow. Well, um, I, I I wonder if that's a good place to leave things. Then, I think I think like, it is. I think I've I think I've gleaned quite a bit with this uh, with this session, and I really appreciate you doing this and doing it as a podcast as well. Oh, I, I, it's I, my I pleasure. Appreciate you doing that, and I'm going to continue taking lessons even after my foot surgery. You're going to have to come up to the second floor where I'll be camped out, okay. and I'll have a couple of amps, and I'll have a you. You could bring your own guitar, or I could furnish one for you, and uh, we could sit and hopefully continue this process, because I know last time I didn't. For whatever reason, it kind of fell off a cliff. I but, know. I'll tell you, you why. Know. I'll tell you why. 
I'll tell you why. It's my fault. No, 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 no. I blame no. myself. No, it's because it's because it's because I did not charge you. Uh, okay, so yeah, <laughs> things you pay for you value, right? Isn't that the old? That when you looks, get stuff for free, you tend not to value. There's a saying so. about that, yeah. And and what it really is is this, because this is a thing that I do. And as I said, um, um, and I don't really mind if this is on the podcast or not. Um, generally, I was strictly working at the guitar bar. Mm. I'm doing more private lessons now. Okay. Um, so really, I'm kind of starting with people. What I would generally do with people that either didn't want to come to the guitar bar, or if I really just felt like too much of a friend to charge them for lessons. Right. Is I'd say like, look, just get me beer and pot and we'll sit down and we'll just be hanging out. Right. And that's guaranteed two, three lessons max. And the reason is, I think it's because the person who is the, the, the student. Yes. Feels obligated to have accomplished something before calling me again. Right. Whereas if you're paying me to bring my ass over here, you it does then fuck it like you know. I think the, you nailed it. I think that's it. Yeah, because yeah, yeah. I, I between lessons I would sit there and go, okay, let me see if I got my up down picking right. Yeah. And it would drive me nuts. Yeah. So there yeah, you I go. think you're right. <laughs> that's it about that. All right. Well, let's wrap this thing up. And thanks again to Keith Hartel for joining me on this podcast. And folks can find him on Facebook if they want to get in touch with him and. Uh, I'll put a link in my newsletter as oh, well. Oh, thank you. And, uh, and on my fantastic. Facebook group, see you next Tuesday. And thanks again. You can find me online at aerialview.me where there's links to Facebook and a whole bunch of other stuff. And uh, I'll see you next week. See you next Tuesday. And we'll be back to our story, the Jackson 5 story starring the Osmond Brothers, right after this word. Oh, this here is Ken Rogers, and I feel like singing a sad song for all you people who bought guitars just to find out how really hard it is to learn how to play the son of a bitch. <laughs> you went out and bought guitars and you put away the classes. But now here's a new guitar course for me to show you how to play the guitar. It's called the Quick Picking. Oh, I just dropped the Bones drumming. Home guitar course. Now, uh, this course contains the, the two booklets by uh, one of America's uh, top publishing names. Uh, what the hell's the name of that guy? Oh, oh yeah, Alfred's Publishing Company. And, uh, the 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 kit contains these two books, and you get this this record, uh, so you can learn how the artists play and so forth and so on. And uh, here's one of my favorite songs. You you could uh, should be able to play this too, and it'll take you about maybe uh, three months or so. Here it goes. order to uh, box 202 uh, New York New York Avenue of America's Luigi's Pizza Parlor now uh, it, it, the, the, uh, the two books plus the record will cost you only 15.95 altogether send uh, hurry now before the, we're all sold out God forbid <laughs>